Wake up, buyer payer people. It's a beautiful day. Go grab yourself another cup of joe and say hello to Jim and Michelle Rhodes on the Buy Here, Pay Here morning show. Take it away, you two. Good morning. I'm so happy to, to be here today. I'm happy. It's what day is it? Today is Wednesday. It's Wednesday. White Hat Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, it's White Hat Wednesday. Happy White Hat Wednesday. Um, we are uh, here broadcasting from a dealer visit in the Northeast. And uh, like we told everybody uh, on the show yes or Monday, that we are on the road now until... Um, sometime in August. So um, today is uh, East Coast, um, dealer in the Northeast. And um, really, we're actually broadcasting from their dealership, which is kind of fun. So so we're grateful to them. Uh, Just a couple of quick things. Uh, Don't forget, guys, NIADA's next Next, next week. week. Oh, gosh, darn it. Time flies. Yeah. So it's, it's next week. We also on, um, on Friday, we'll be broadcasting from Albuquerque. Albuquerque. Family visit, short stop yep. between here and NIADA. So, so. Um, yeah. So we'll probably be, be uh, visiting, uh, be broadcasting from mm-hmm. some family's house and stuff. So we're excited to, uh, to be able to go see them too. It's kind of nice to get out. I'm excited and, to get a Blake's burrito. Blake's. Okay. Those of you who know Blake's. People who know New Mexico know yeah. Blake's. So. <laughs> so the first time that Jim's like, let's go to Blake's. Yeah. And so we went to Blake's, we got a burrito and I was like, it's a burrito, but honey, it's a Blake's burrito. So okay. I don't know. We got Dennis Lee as <laughs> one of our BHPH success uh, dealers. Who's from Albuquerque. He knows, so he doesn't get points, but any of the rest of you who can put in the comments, what it means to order your, burrito with christmas that's uh-huh. bonus points if you can throw that in there Tell i us felt the- like a local when i could you know with yeah authority yeah say that tell them and you want christmas what yeah. does that mean tell us in the comments what does it mean in <laughs> albuquerque when you say you want christmas the first time i said that i was like did i do it right jim yeah. did i do it right and they, they looked me. at me like i was crazy remind me by the end of the show nobody's <laughs> chimed in i'll tell you what the answer yeah is. so we see we've got a a, a good handful of people that are already logged in. So if you want to just do a shout out um, of where you're, where you're in from and don't forget that we can't see who you are off of um, our platform uh, without you saying that you would be happy to share your, who, who you are on Facebook. It's okay. If you don't, that's either way, it's just great. So, so good morning. Today is white hat Wednesday. And, um, we, we, uh, we don't have a white hat dealer, but we have a really good white hat topic to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to dive into collections today. Some have asked uh, us to speak to collections and, uh, this will be a topic that is quite familiar to me. This is something I've spoken on many times over the years. And, you know, in conjunction with this visit that we're on, so discovery visit with a client. And yesterday we had, uh, you know, substantial discoveries. We discovered plenty and and it kind of reminded me of one of the things that in collections, you know, there's a lot of philosophy. Uh, And I talked about before that I wrote an article about the, the third P being philosophy. You know, we have to kind of understand philosophy in order to write our policies and procedures or even craft our policies and procedures and the way we train and, and operate in the business. So that philosophy as it relates to collections really ties into my approach in collection efficiency. So when we think about what is what is collection 
performance? What should it be like? Um, how do we know if we're collecting well? And more importantly to me, or as importantly, is how do we create successful collections in a way that um, fosters good employee morale, mm -hmm. it fosters good uh, customer relations, and gets the payments in the bank. So when I when I threw the poll out uh, back on the 28th of May, we asked, you know, who can collect better? Just based on your own direct experience, who do we think can collect better? The dealership who's in the community with the customer, or we offered other options were third-party lenders or bulk buyers who now own the paper and have a vested interest in the mm -hmm. success. And my definition of success in that case was customer making it all the way to maturity. If mm -hmm. that's if that's our goal is to get the customer you know, all the way to the finish line, or at least to the point where they have a low enough balance, we can trade them into their next car, then I think that should be our objective. So now, you know, that doesn't have much to do with delinquency. It was all these kinds of measurements of portfolio performance. And people mm -hmm. like to talk about, you know, collateral rec recovery rate, and there's all these kind of, you know, numbers to look at on a long range basis. But I highly recommend that all of us get familiar with what I call collection efficiency. And that's just the measure of how well are we collecting compared to what we're supposed to collect according to what's active in the portfolio. Yeah. Those of you who know Jim know that the term collection efficiency is something he coined. And it's been really fun to hear every once in a while, especially capital providers, talk about collection efficiency. And it's, yeah. so it's 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 something that he coined, but it's it really just um, nails um the, the the things that we should be looking at that we right. advise that people look at um, to determine whether or not they really are being successful with their collection efforts. Yeah. And we've talked about this handful of times out there on our Facebook group. I know we may have listeners today out on YouTube or uh, LinkedIn, but so just to give by definition, what I'm calling collection efficiency, and, and we track this typically on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. we then, um, you can expect to see ups and downs in this number, you know, on a, from a week to week basis. So I like to look at a 10 week rolling average mm -hmm. and that captures, you know, biweeklies and monthly payments and, and kind of looks at an overall range of performance. And then we filter that. So I always talk about net or filtered collection efficiency. So in our case, we filter for payments over $800. Okay. So that just means anytime we run a client's report, we're looking at, okay, when we're looking at the collection side, what did we actually collect during a given seven day period? We'll take all gross payments and then we'll subtract the payments over $800. The idea would be able to filter out unexpected money like payoffs and some of those things. So the reason this kind of ties into the white hat way of collecting is because there's a, there's a huge flexibility component in this. And, and if you're really going to implement a degree of flexibility in your approach to collections, which means cooperation with payments, helping customer, you know, get back on track after some sort of setback. And we give them, mm -hmm. you know, two to four weeks or whatever it looks like to have a customer get caught back up on their payments. Then when you do that, then we pay a price in terms of our delinquency, but that doesn't tell the whole story for me. Delinquency can kind of come up and down, you know, customers can get mm -hmm. behind. We can expect obviously in buy here, pay here, lower income customer, don't manage their money very well. We should anticipate, uh, you know, a, a delinquency on a regular mm -hmm. basis. The question is how do we handle that when the customer does fall behind? One of the things I really like about your approach to this is that, you know, uh, you, it, there, there's a morale improvement you mentioned uh, sure. with the collectors. Um, because every month is starts fresh. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's not a carryover from last month. It's like you wake up and it's a fresh day. It's a fresh start at the beginning of the month. Right. And let's track how we do this month. Um, it, I, that's not to say that, that you're not still watching for, for accounts that are getting 30, 60 or whatever days sure. late, but it actually, it's, it's, it's counting and measuring success instead right. of failure. Yeah. And so, yeah, when we think about delinquency, when we, um, write pay plans for collectors that are tied heavily to delinquency, then that creates a couple of things. One, it can create um, a scenario where our collectors are demoralized and frustrated mm -hmm. all the time because, you know, they can't control life of the customer. And so, so the customers will fall behind, they will come up short. And sometimes that's just pure irresponsibility. And sometimes it's major setbacks and whatever it might be. So the, the collector really can't, can't control the delinquency. The only way they could would be to hammer on customers, you know, and mm -hmm. demand a payment now. And you create this sort of adversarial kind of relationship yeah. uh, because you're so focused on delinquency. And so that's the part I'm trying to solve in terms of the, you know, the, the demoralization of the team, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of collections, we want them to feel rewarded for doing the job that I would be asking the collection team to do, which is to get the money in the bank, even if it comes late. So that means working with people. So this mm -hmm. is where the white hat way thing comes into it. It's like when we're going to bring, you know, a good guy approach and we really care about our and good girl approach too, by the way, we have plenty of women out there doing this job. So it's like, we, we need to recognize that that's how we, um, this is how we help a customer be successful in the long run. Mm -hmm. And we play a longer game and, and we kind of de-emphasize, this is, I'm going to say this slowly, we de-emphasize delinquency, especially in pay plans, because it's mm -hmm. like you, when we put too much emphasis on delinquency, we, we tend to frustrate people, burn collectors out. We run off mm -hmm. people who would otherwise be really good collectors. And now we think about the relationship between the collection department and the um, customer. Mm -hmm. We think about the relationship between the dealer and or supervisor and the collection team when we really focus on, you know, working out the situation, giving the customer time to get caught back up. And so now the customer is going to be on our past due list for a period of time. So let's think about what that means when we start to measure that. By the way, when I look at collection efficiency, we're measuring what we collected relative to what we were contractually projected to bring in. So that's a really important mm -hmm. number. Not every software out there will do what it is that I'm used to measuring. Um, and so we like to see the, the actual figure for what's contractually mm -hmm. expected. So what I mean by that is if a customer has a $100 week payment and we run the report on a Sunday projecting the upcoming week, which is real typical for our cycle with new dealers. We'll put it, we'll project the upcoming Monday through Sunday, seven day period. And so it's going to look at, okay, what is contractually due from customers during that period, regardless of how many customers might be paid ahead mm -hmm. or behind. It just looks at how much should the portfolio generate this in week. aggregate, not individual, but an in aggregate. This well, no, it's actually an individual. It's yeah, it's an aggregate number, but mm -hmm. it looks at each individual yes. account, gives a listing of, yeah. you know, if you choose the detail, of course, but it's looking at each individual customer based on who's active at the start of that period, at the time you run the report, that's really important. So that kind of ties back into why the other reason I look at collection efficiency is because it's a real good indicator of a leakage problem. You know, when we're underperforming on collection efficiency, you have to ask yourself, so why? Because if a customer is contractually due for $100 a week and we, we can't pay one week, they're short because their paycheck is short and they pay 50. Okay. So now they pay 125, you know, for the next two weeks. Well, for that three week period, they're a hundred percent. 
on the account, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to measure and say, okay, the customer was past due, they were past due, they caught up. And so across that range of time, we're a hundred percent. So you begin to ask yourself, okay, so if, if we're deficient in that number, why, where's the money going? Yeah. And so if, cause if we're, if we're working with customers and they're getting back on track, then across a range of time, we, we would expect to have all of those payments from that customer across a period of time. So there's exactly two places. And by the way, the deficiency with most of our dealers usually runs 7% or less. So that's really important. I think people need to understand, but again, this really only works well if you're able to get to that contractually projected number, otherwise you're working off of estimates. And so these numbers I'm going to give you may not quite work out the same, mm -hmm. but let's understand this is really about the approach. This is about the nature of the conversations that we're having with the customer and how it affects day-to-day -day dialogue, day-to-day -day morale in the department. And so this is why I think it's a white hat thing because it helps the nature of the dialogue with the customers and the amount of pressure we put on Amen. a customer who's already yeah. feeling a lot of stress. They're already in a tough financial place. And now mm -hmm. if we start applying a lot of pressure, we should really know how that's likely to work out. Amen. Right? Um, and, and I, as, as you were running through that, I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I have a, a, bit of a background of customer service and um, ran a pretty large team for a national company. And um, that the, the morale of your team directly correlates to how the team communicates with the customer that is, is having um, issues. Right. And, um, if they're already feeling demoralized or picked on, they will, they will more easily transfer that to the, um, to the customer. And so it's having a, a good morale in your collections team is really crucial in how your collections team will be communicating with your customers and so, you know, keeping, keeping their morale, morale up by, by, you know, measuring like by the week, all of that, um, I think is it's, it's really, really, it's really important. Um, I wanted to, to point out, um, we've had a lot of people that have, have, uh, said hello this morning. Um, yeah, uh, Greg King from North Carolina, David Greg. Zapata from Michigan, um, GR Moore. Hi, GR. We see you just about every time. I, just, I love it. I just read the comments from Tyler. Simmons, and I was so going to, yeah. yeah. So, so he, Tyler Simmons, go he's ahead. He's doing it. Yeah. So Tyler looks like you guys are doing it the way we do it. Yeah. You've got uh, payoffs uh, are filtered out of there. So that's yeah. great. So the way what Tyler said is collection efficiency is how our collectors bonus um, the, how are they, they're bonused on a weekly basis. So Tyler, if you're still listening in, I'd like for you to chime in and tell us how's that affect the morale of your team? And are yeah. you getting people to stay? Are you getting your collectors to be able to stay with you? And are they earning some nice bonuses? Yeah. Because, you know, we'd obviously like to see our people be paid well, because it's an important job that that job of collector, I think is difficult mm. and it's, it's hard to find the right person for that position. And so when we find somebody, we really want to make sure we create a a pay plan environment for them that they can, you know, be comfortable in their work. They can enjoy the dialogue with the customers and uh -huh. look that we all get it. It's there's days that it's frustrating. Yeah. The customers frustrate us. Those should be the exceptions rather than the rule. For the most part, uh -huh. we should be working with people. We communicate with them early. We, 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 you know, work out whatever's got a bit get worked out mm -hmm. and we do that soon in the process. So yeah. And, and you out. also, you know, you have the opportunity when morale is high and, and we really advise strongly that dealers give their collectors, um, I call it arrows in your quiver. 
yeah. or tools in your yeah. tool belt. Yeah. And so that there are a lot of things that you are, you're empowering your collectors to be problem solvers sure. and to be, to make the day of the person that they're talking to right. and to, you know, to be so that the, the, your customer really sees your collectors as someone that's sitting on the same side of the table. Right. And absolutely. So I want to make sure we get back to, because I think it's an important thing that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And the reason there's all these different ways to measure portfolio performance, right? So we, and most of them are done on a monthly basis. We might look at what I call conversion rates, our rate of principal collected as a percent of opening principal. And there's different ways to slice and dice it. And I think it's important to look at more than one. If I were picking only one, I would be looking at collection efficiency. Um, but there are probably another three or four that matter so that you can, you know, kind of between those four, maybe you could have a pretty good, some of them you were looking at longer range performance, mm -hmm. the collection efficiency, and I'll make sure people think about this. You can collect 93% or better. We have clients collecting 96% plus net. Okay. So if you're collecting, if you're looking at gross, then that number should be a hundred percent plus because you're going to have unexpected money. But I really want to break down for our listeners and uh, anybody that's there can kind of chime in, especially Tyler, if you're measuring this as well. One of the things that we like about collection efficiency is it's also a good indicator of leakage. Like when you say, okay, we should be collecting 93% or better. Well, if we're not, we have to ask ourselves why, where's that money going? Okay. So I can see a couple problems in that. You could have a mismanagement problem. So why would we be running 90, 90% instead of 93? Well, what are we, are we carrying a lot of non-performing contracts? Are we not charging off on a timely cycle? Or we've got a bunch of, of, you know, dead weight in our portfolio. These contracts that aren't performing, they're projecting, they're spitting out a projected payment each week because they're still active in our portfolio, but they're not performing contracts. Why aren't we getting rid of them? You know, and so that's a timing thing if we're, so that's a management question. Now it's like, okay, is our portfolio underperforming because we're not, we're not clean. We don't have a, a healthy, fresh, active portfolio. So that would be one. The other one would be, and I can tell you that charge-offs, obviously when a customer just kind of on what I just touched on, customer owes a hundred dollars a week, they owe a hundred dollars a week. They didn't pay. They didn't pay. We ultimately repossessed the account, took a little while to process the repo and charge it off. So each of those weeks, that customer was still active in the portfolio, was generating expected payment. That would be one of the things that contributes to the deficiency. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, and always when I meet with a new dealer, I ask, always kind of quiz them, you know, and ask them, think about this, like ask them to figure this out before I tell them, you know, what the answer would be. What would be the <laughs> other reason that we might be and let them, let them think it through a little bit. And, and the answer from working with these all these years, I know that the other one is um, deferrals. If we're allowing collectors, if collectors or collection supervisors have the authority to defer payments, because in that scenario that I'm talking about, customers due for hundred dollars a week, due for hundred dollars, they got behind. And now the collector had the authority to go in and modify the account, defer those $300 in payments. You're mm -hmm. going to say, well, I still collect those. I still collect hundred percent at the end. Yes. But during that range of time that we're measuring, that money didn't come in like we expected it. So that's why this number becomes so important. It's, it's a really important piece of our management because when we look at that and we can get really consistent in that we can steadily settle in in that 93 95% range now we've got something that's much more predictive in terms of our cash flow mm -hmm. if we know how many active accounts we're going to have and we we can measure that and look at okay how well are we doing so this is kind of why I like it there's lots of benefits to it you know from a internal uh -huh. uh, internal controls and policies procedures those kind of things there's some internal things we can look at but really it helps us implement a more flexible approach to collections which is going to be helpful for us, customer relations and, and all of that. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have basically 
laid out the um, the reasons why a dealer is a, a good person to be the one collecting um, off of their portfolio because an individual dealer has the ability to be that uh, to to be that kind of flexible. And, um, you know, this ties into a kind of as a segue um, into the poll that we did um, that asked who is more, uh, who is the better person to collect um, on your portfolio? Um, is it, is it the dealer? Is it, um, is it a third party? What were the other ones that you, uh, there were two other ones. We actually had someone that, that piped in their own. Um, it's uh a third party buyers who service the contracts that they now own because they have the direct financial interest to loan performance. And then um, uh, we had a dealer that piped in that says they can be equal. Each has incentives to do their best. So we have one in essence where all of the, the people that weighed in, um, they only weighed in on three things. One of them didn't have any at all. One of them was their equal. Mm -hmm. One of them was the dealer and the other one was third party are the only ones that people weighed in on okay. and voted on. So just so you, uh, those of you who haven't seen it, 90% of the people that weighed in said the dealer is the one that is going to be, um, have a better, uh, better uh, chance at collecting. Yeah. And this um, is not scientific. This it's is not, just yeah, a this dealer is, yeah, poll. Yeah, absolutely. Know. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I, at least from, um, from my perspective and uh, is that, um, a dealer has the opportunity to, to be flexible and has the opportunity to help mitigate, um, morale problems and has the ad ability to, to, uh, you know, be, be, uh, a good guy, the white hat for their, for their collectors and for the customer. It's more difficult for a third party to be able to do that because they're going off of, um, you know, uh, different numbers that they're, they're trying to collect off of. Um, you, you're talking to people, that's all they do all day. And, um, and so they may not know your customers as well. And so, you know, we can a third party collect uh, effectively. I'm sure they can, yeah. the, you know, we've already covered the ground about, we don't get to see their numbers. We don't know how well they perform. Yeah. Now, some of you may have enough contracts placed out there that you can speak to this, but, but I'm not aware of any third parties that report back to their dealers, the collection efficiency and the way that we measure mm -hmm. it. You know, I'd love to see those numbers just because yeah. that helps dealers and make a judgment whether they, because we're, we, we believe that we collect better than the third parties, but we don't really know. And we won't mm -hmm. know until the third parties start providing yeah. their actual. And we're not really, um, you know, how, how adaptable is a third party to the, the, um, the policies or the procedures for collections that a dealer has, has for how they help the, the customer. A lot of times when you go third party, it's, you have to abide by what it is their, uh, their box right. yeah. of how they collect. And, you know, we, we were still, the, the jury is still out. And so I, I kind of wonder whether or not, um, you know, there are a lot of third parties out there and, and maybe we just haven't seen enough yeah. yet, but overall the, the consensus seems to be from this, that dealers do um, 
do feel like they are the better collectors. Well, and let me just, let's just stick to the math for a minute. I mean, if we put aside the idea of customer relations and the nature of your relationship with your customer when a third party's collecting, let's just put that aside for a minute and let's just talk purely about the math and the, the actual results with the customers and how many customers would make it to the end of the loan, et cetera, how much cash flow we might have on any given week if a third party's collecting. And even if we collected um, somewhere short, of what we might collect on our own, mm -hmm. there's still the mathematically that could still make sense because we don't have the cost of the servicing, the real cost of having, you know, collectors and bonuses and, you know, all this, the cost of running the collections department. You know, that's a real, real thing that we need to remember that when we do send it out for third party, we get to forego that expense. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes we're paying them, you know, mm -hmm. a, um, uh, a servicing fee because they have their own expense of doing that. But, but we just have to recognize, you know, we're not going to have that, that personnel, but it's just really a question of how well do they collect and what is the customer experience? Like if we think keep the why component of this, what is the customer experience? Mm -hmm. What is it? How does it impact the likelihood that the customer will buy from us again? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, if, we, we just uh, got a, a comment that I, um, I threw up on the screen um, from David. Uh, who chimed in this morning to say good morning from uh, Michigan. He, he says, uh, having a third-party collection has allowed me to focus more on helping customers versus worrying about who's not paying. And I'd really love to to hear more about that. Um, yeah, there's yeah. total truth to that. Like we understand that um, that is certainly a value. It lets us focus on sales, mm -hmm. right, and produce that. I think, though, the question becomes, if the third party is not, Collecting well, and by the way, this, this is such a huge subject. Like oh my gosh, the, yeah. the size of the market that we're in will have some bearing, and you know how mm -hmm. much this makes sense. Um, you know, if we're if we're very sales focused and we want to build a large portfolio and we don't want to manage the servicing team and we we you know don't want to be involved in the collections, then mm -hmm. certainly there can be value to dealers in having a third party do that. It's just that we have to ask ourselves what is what are all the um, kind of ancillary cost or soft mm -hmm. cost that we might experience in that, that you can't, yeah. you know, we can look at the real numbers and the real dollars that make it in the bank and the real number of charge offs. And we can look at all those things. I think the question is, what is the relationship with the customer like? And, and I've had, you know, some third parties tell me, um, you know, we really, we just do the collections. We're not trying to get between the customer and the dealer and their relationship. So there can still be some level of engagement for the dealer and the customer that is irrespective of their payment account. Mm -hmm. But I think we all understand that if the, if the customer is unhappy with the experience of the collection department, some third party, because we hear people grumbling on social media all the time about, I sent my contracts to so-and-so I'll never do it again because, you know, they cost me a lot of business. Those customers will never do business with me again. And so that's, that's something, but it's one of those things that we just have to understand if, if, if we send it to a third party and they're going to service they in a way they represent us, if we expect that customer to do business with us again, we hope there's ways that we can keep the customer engaged and, and keep them happy with us. Uh, but it, it obviously is, uh, a challenge if the customer's unhappy with the way the collections department is, you know, managing their account, then it stands to reason that as the dealer who's, you know, expecting that repeat customer, that it's going to affect that relationship. So it's just, I think in general, what we want to talk about this morning was just collection efficiency and the idea that if we, if we start to think 
less and certainly incorporate less in our pay plans about the delinquency, recognizing that that's going to be a reality. And by the way, as I say this, there's nothing that I'm saying that suggests we're not still going to hold the customer accountable. Mm-hmm. We still reach an understanding. We put understandings in writing. We get the you know, we get that worked out and the customer gets caught up. So it's really just a question of, will there be hiccups in the life of a buy here, pay here note? I think so. And so then the question is, <laughs> yeah. how do we navigate those? Yeah. And do we do we have a way to get past it? And what's the nature of our dialogue is how we manage that, you know, that setback um, in the account. And so that's really the bigger yeah. question here. Um, David Pipe uh, commented again, he said, it also allows a small dealership like myself to grow without having to grow physically, mm-hmm. meaning the office space and personnel. Yeah, there's yeah. absolutely. So there, there are, there are um, pros and cons. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Too. And, and not to mention, you know, we're, we're getting funded up front. So for those of us, it may be just a reality of, you know, capital wise, if we have capital limitations, we may have to use a third party because a lot of the people that will provide funding uh, at certain stages of business will require that they collect. And that's okay. It's just important to understand if we are collecting, I think for our conversation today, if we are collecting, this is just a way for us to think about, you know, if we're deficient, if we can measure that number and get it pretty tight, then, and we know that we're, we're short of what I said is a real target after 20 plus years of tracking mm-hmm. this number for some dealer somewhere every week for, what do we say? 1100 plus weeks. Yeah. I've done this now. So it's like, I've been looking at this number a long time. And so when we say 93%, that's a very real target. That's a very achievable target to collect and deposit 93% of your net payments. That's principal and interest, by the way, that excludes, we filter out anything. If it's projected like side note payments or CPI payments, if it's on the projected report, then we count it on both mm-hmm. sides, you know, but we, we don't count unexpected money like late fees or convenience fees or extra stuff that we're yeah. putting in the bank. That's not really part of like our insurance payoff or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just basically filtering that. So we get a real good look at how well are we doing at getting the payments in the bank, even if some of them came late. Yeah. Right. So hopefully, I mean, we, we have noticed that, uh, um, our viewership or listenership has, there's a lot of vendors out there. And so if we've got vendors out there that are capital providers, um, this kind of gives you a little bit more insight about the things that we're, um, looking for and, you know, the things that, 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 uh, that matter to uh, collection efficiency when we're when we're talking to clients and um, want to be able to train them on the things that they should be looking for and the things that they should um, that you know the safeguards and right. all of those things. This collection efficiency is a really big piece of that, and that we before we advise a client to go to third party servicing, that we would advise that they know what their um, what, how they measure up to yeah. what we've seen in the industry and what we can teach people to be able to do. And we're, you know, the buzzword for us or the kind of the rally cry has been transparency. We're going to be very specific yep. when, and, and this is something I think across our industry, we could all do a better job of when we go to a conference and we talk about numbers, we need to be very specific. When we start talking numbers, I feel like we have a responsibility. So that's why you hear me kind of go into more painstaking. And, and so I'm going to actually share all after the, um, the uh, morning shows, uh, posted, I'll go in the comments and I'll put some actual results from our clients, very oh, specific yeah. numbers. We won't divulge who the client is, but we'll, we'll give you very specific numbers about what they were projected to collect, what their 10 week rolling averages look like. And that way you can begin to understand we're going to get specific and transparent about what we do and what, mm-hmm. what our dealers experience. And we just would ask everybody to do the same thing when we're talking, you know, I, I get a little frustrated. I hear people at a conference or auction, you know, standing in the auction lanes, we're talking about charge off rates. Well, 
how are you measuring that? Like there's got to be 14 different ways to measure charge off rates. <laughs> there really know? are. And so what are, what number yeah. are we talking about? Yeah. And so I just think we, we all have a responsibility. Well, if we're really trying to be helpful, let's get specific and yeah. let's make sure help people with very specific numbers so that they can know what to really, what's achievable. Yeah. And I know Jim at many different conferences has been asked to speak on this. And, and I, we know from communicating with different dealers out there that have, have sat in on one of his sessions that um, there are a lot of dealers that dealers that have taken that and they've run with it and sure. they've been really successful. But if there's anything we can do to help you to be able to dial in those, those numbers, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to us and we can, we can help you, uh, to, to be able to, to, um, identify those leakages, sure. keep your morale, um, better, um, and help you to, to, uh, understand what, what collecting numbers we, we, we really, uh, advise people to look at. Good. And um, we'll say for a future episode, we'll talk about the charge off side of this because I can just oh, say yeah. as we wrap up that just because you're collecting very efficiently doesn't mean you aren't still, still experiencing some charge offs and, yeah. and write offs. So, so that's a separate piece of that. We'll talk about yeah. it's just one way to measure this efficiency. So, um, this wraps up our white hat Wednesday. We were talking about how to, how to, uh, to use a white hat approach in your collections. And, um, and went over some of the poll results and we really appreciate sure. everyone for having um, voiced their opinion on those and, and weighed in. Um, so we're closing up and just inviting you guys to join us on Friday and we will be again broadcasting from Albuquerque. Albuquerque. I promised I would explain Christmas, Christmas in Albuquerque. If you order a burrito Christmas, that means you want both red and green chili. So, so those of you who are heading to Albuquerque, um, that's like something people are going to go, yeah. Oh, they're a local, local. code. Yeah. That's yeah, local code. That's local code. <laughs> <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> all right. Have yourself a great Wednesday and we will see you all on Friday. Thanks. See you Friday.